Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Infection Control Matters. It's Brett Mitchell here again, and this is our fourth special from the SIPSI conference, where we have a guest speaker who presented at the SIPSI conference. But before we get to our uh, guest speaker, we're joined by Phil. Phil, nice to have you with us today. Thanks, Brett. It's uh, nice to be back on air. It's been a little while, but looking forward to this chat this morning. What have you been doing, Phil? Oh, not much. <laughs> Just uh, lying around uh, on the Pacific Islands, relaxing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Phil, do you want to introduce our uh, guest today? Sure. So it's with great pleasure that uh, I'm introducing Stephanie Curtis. Stephanie is an epidemiologist at the National Critical Care and Trauma Response Centre. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Brett. Nice to see you both. Great to see you and hear from you. <laughs> yeah, in, indeed. Stephanie, you've been a really busy person since um, we last worked together, but Recently, you've been doing some work with uh, proximity trackers and uh, soon to have a paper published about a study you undertook uh, about proximity trackers. Perhaps you could just tell us uh, in the first instance, what are they and what are they used for? So these proximity trackers are made of Bluetooth technology, and that's a technology we often have in our mobile phones and what we use for the COVID tracker to see uh, how people are interacting with each other in the population. Um, and on a smaller scale, uh, in the hospital setting, they're small wearable tags that you can wear in your pocket or clip onto your tag um, alongside sensors that are on the walls. And that tracks how people are moving in and out of rooms uh, and the proximity between two people. So when it's 1.5 metres, you'll know through these tags. Oh, that's excellent. So, how big are the how big are these tags? They t- they clip onto your your belt or your your ID badge, or are they going to be worn on your arm or something like that? Yeah, so they're you can just clip them straight onto your ID badge. They're about the mm-hmm. size of a credit card. Um, in the current state, uh, they're a bit thicker than that, about a centimetre thick. Um, although uh, you can always make uh, they're more refined and smaller mm. and be hardly noticeable. Yeah. So um, healthcare workers wear them, and then these little um, sensors, are they sort of located in the room or in corridors, or how does that work? Yep, so you can place them anywhere that you would like. Uh, For our study, we place them in the chamber of the negative pressure room, so that's between the door of the patient room and the primary door where you would enter and exit from the ward. Um, We saw how healthcare workers were moving in and out of those rooms. Okay, well, we're going to talk a bit more about this in a second. Just um, just on the proximity trackers themselves, did, that, were they something you just bought off off the shelf, so to speak, or did, were they developed locally? How did you get hold of them? So we developed them ourselves. Uh, we worked in a team at the Alfred Hospital and with an engineering team at Monash University. Uh, and the engineering team worked very hard in 2020 in their lab to trial these devices. And um, then later on, we piloted them. Excellent. Steph, I'm just curious. It sounds very much like um, a COVID app type approach to um, proximity tracking in Bluetooth. Maybe one that works, Phil. Well, I was just, I was just wondering, <laughs> is, is, uh, was this something that was um, uh, thought about to, to you know, fill the gap that the, perhaps the COVID safe app didn't fill? Yeah, so some of those COVID safe apps did work around the world. Some of them um, didn't work quite to what we had hoped. 
but the limitation of those systems is, is that they're on your mobile phone. And as you know, we're not supposed to have our mobile phones in our pockets um, when we're walking around and um, caring for patients. So these tags can be a great way to avoid having to use the mobile phone, um, but also for privacy and security so that individuals don't rely on having to download another app for work and having that on throughout the day. Mm, that's a good idea. So your study, um, was that done at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne? Yep, it was indeed. And just, just one word, like who, who was involved in the, what, what did the study look like in terms of the location? Yeah, so we'd hoped it would be on the COVID ward when we first thought of this study. Mm. Um, but then we were lucky for our pilot. It was at the start of 2021 when we actually didn't have much COVID in the community here in Victoria. And therefore, we resorted to another ward that primarily cares for um, infectious diseases and respiratory diseases. So similar, but not quite the same uh, set out as a COVID ward. So, Steph, can you just tell us a little bit about the study then and uh, what it involved and what were the methods that you used? Sure. So uh, it was a pilot study and really the aim of it was to check that this system worked. We had uh, tested it in an office setting, in the laboratory setting, and had actually done a pilot on this ward earlier in the year uh, that showed some improvements we needed. Uh, but for this study, it was done in April. It was for four days. Um, and just on a small subset of that ward at the Alfred Hospital with the negative pressure rooms, um, those rooms were chosen because it was quite simple to put the sensors in there and easily track going in and out, um, and also not to burden all of the staff, considering we were just trying to get proof of concept that it could work. Sure. So um, just curious, what sort of information does it then tell you? Like at the end of the day, um, what do you see? What do the proximity trackers tell you? Yeah, so the data, the data collected is quite expansive, um, but what we look to get from that data and we're able to collect is every time two tags are, with, are within 1.5 metres of each other, so what we'd call close contact, and that starts a timer so we can see how long that is. Sometimes that might just be five seconds, sometimes it might be 10 seconds or even an hour. Um, and on the patient side, we see how long staff are entering and exiting the room for. So again, we can quantify that close contact uh, when they're inside the room. Can you, and you can put your own parameters around, um, like what would you define as a close contact? So could you make that three meters or, you know, a meter or how, can, you, can you sort of change, are those things adaptable? Yeah, they're completely adaptable and they're all just written in uh, software, a code, mm -hmm. um, through Python, some may be familiar with. And that's the great thing about this sort of system is that all you have to do is change the um, computational parameters and you can make that smaller or larger. Excellent. So what did you find? What were the, what were the main findings from this sort of pilot work? So we did, I forgot to mention, we invited both doctors and nurses to participate oh, yes. in this yeah. pilot. Um, and there was actually just five tags available at any point in time for the people who were caring for patients in those rooms. So what we first of all found is uh, there was a lower participation than what we'd thought. We thought we'd always have five active at all points in time. Mm. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Um, but we were able to collect really good data on behalf of the nursing staff. 
um, throughout the day and overnight. So we could compare by different times of the day what these close contact interactions and patient interactions look like. Um, we saw that nurse-to-nurse -nurse interactions are quite short, often just for about one minute. And then for the patient interactions, they were a bit longer, about seven minutes on average. Um, and for patients in airborne precautions, we saw that it was uh, quite a bit shorter than those that had no precautions on. Yeah, look, I find those three things quite fascinating, those, those sort of three results. So I think the paper, um, which we'll put on our reference on, on our website uh, once it's published, it's going to go in um, infection, disease and health for those who are looking to find it. Um, and for those who went to the SIPSI conference, they can, of course, hear Stephanie talk about this in a visual way a bit more. Um, but there were 330-odd nurse interactions. And so they, as you mentioned, they were about a minute. So they were pretty um, pretty short interactions, um, which, is, which is quite fascinating when you think about it because you sort of have this impression that people might be congregating to, to do work and various other things. But really that's... Um, I know there was a bit of a range within that, but that was an interesting, uh, an interesting finding. I thought. Yeah, I agree, and that is one of the hypotheses that we had at the start of this. We thought uh, that specifically around uh, huddle and handover periods would see quite long times together, um, and potentially even just uh, chatting overnight mm. if there's not a lot to do for a bit. Um, but they were quite brief, and that, of course, we need to understand further why that is. Um, maybe people were maintaining the 1.5 meters quite well. Uh, maybe it's also a really busy time and um, it, there's not that congregating we thought would be happening. Yeah. And I think the, the other interesting part then was the close contact event times. So when people, nurses in particular, or I guess it was nurses and, and, and some medical doctors, but um, when there was close contact, it um, was for a reasonable length of time. So I think there was 45 odd uh, close contact events and the and the average time there was sort of around seven minutes with a range of three to, to 20 minutes so I guess um, when people were having close contact though with with patients they were doing that for quite a while yeah and I think that was a benefit of the study design um, requiring people to go completely into the patient's rooms um, rather than if they're hovering at the door and just quickly yelled something out. Um, mm. We didn't include that in our study if it was under 30 seconds, um, but we assume if they've gone in for more than that time, they've definitely uh, put their relevant PPE in and um, spent quite a bit of time with the patient. Mm. Now, I know I'm hogging all the questions here, so I'm gonna let Phil ask something else in a minute, but um, just that third point that you mentioned there, Steph, which was um, that, that close patient close contact was shorter in rooms where people were under airborne precautions compared to those under not under transmission-based precautions, and that's interesting because um, now that could be it could be because people want to get in and out um, uh, and and were acutely aware of um, of that sort of risk the longer that you might be within a, within a room compared to those in non-transmission-based questions. It could be a marker of the type of care that people needed um, as well uh, in terms of the, that difference. But I did find that um, that interesting because it also relates to other work about people or patients feeling like they're actually uh, in a bit of isolation when they're in isolation in rooms and they don't have that regular contact with healthcare workers. So you know, I found that, that, that an interesting finding because um, it, it's probably one of the first things that I've seen that's been 
has quantified that in some kind of way. Can I ask, Steph, were, were those um, uh, healthcare workers required to wear full PPE when they were going into those rooms? Yeah, so for the airborne precautions, they were required to wear full PPE. Um, okay. And I think it's really important, yeah, as, as you know, we need to explore, um, quantify further, and also it supports the qualitative um, hmm. information that we are seeing more and not more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So so the, the, um, the joys and comfort of wearing full PPE may help explain some of the reasons why that's such a short time period in those, in those rooms, perhaps. Yeah, I think so. And I think uh, for future pilots, it would be quite interesting to combine a qualitative component or even just a quick survey on participants um, to see, you know, if, if they realise they're doing that or if there is a reason why. Sure. So this is um, this sort of technology is actually revealing new information to a degree, isn't it? Because previously, when it comes to contact tracing, in the absence of this sort of technology, we'd be looking at lists of rosters and who was looking after which patients and we'd have to go and ask them how long do you think you spent with this patient or what were your movements so this is really innovative from from that point of view and will save a lot of time when it comes to um, working out who needs to who was exposed and so um where, where do i see this going in the future <laughs> yeah, no, that, i was coming to that i was coming to that so one of the questions I had, Stephanie, was was once an exposure happens and you want to do that tracing, how quickly can you pull that data out? Yeah, so this information is real-time available. Um, of course, there's some processing that's required, uh, but once you set up that processing script for analytics, it can be pretty rapid within a few minutes if you're refreshing that platform. So it's a real benefit that we can access that straight away and, as you mentioned, avoid some of those... Um, not avoid, but combine it with that conventional contact tracing of working through a long line list of people who may be exposed um, and asking them the questions that need to be asked. Sure, okay. Um, so you've done the pilot. Uh, what's the next plan for, and where do you see this technology going? Yeah, so actually we did another pilot last week and we're just uh, working on pulling out those key results there. Then in the future, what we're hoping to do uh, is to combine this sort of system long-term with other data sources. So where it can also be beneficial is to combine it with uh, rostering applications such as Kronos or Cerner. And you can actually use all those sources to confirm and triangulate that that staff member was on that ward because they were rostered there or because they've been writing on patient notes relevant to that area and this system. Um, and that could provide even a real-time dashboard to confirm who was where at what time. Do you see any potential? Could it also be used as a preventative measure? Like, could it be used as a warning system for the person who's wearing it to say, hey, you've been in close proximity to this person for a certain period of time or that's a bit too far down the track? I think anything's possible with um, extra funding and extra personnel on board. Uh, that could definitely happen, um, yep, it's quite simple if they were registered and that tag was specific, specifically for that person. could be quite simple to send out an email or text message, of course, with a lot more developments from our current system. Yeah, yeah. I see two other potential uh, uses for this as well. Um, one, you know, for other types of um, microorganisms and, and transmission and understanding transmission dynamics. Can you imagine if you had this type of device 
if it was if it was really could be very made much smaller so we didn't have issues around pressure injuries and everything of the like imagine if it was something that could be put into a patient bracelet and then you're able to really be able to to track transmission dynamics of a whole range of different uh, infectious disease in real time whether it be things like mrsa vre and know exactly who was in contact or close proximity to someone else, who was in the same room uh, for what period of time, uh, interactions with staff, so you'd be able to find those kind of links if there was an intermediate link. Um, you know, I, I think it's a fascinating area that has enormous potential in that space. And the other area is is one about workforce. So um, thinking about how workforce delivers care because you get a lot of insight, presumably, about individual movements. How many times did someone have to go back and forth to a room where if you actually had that kind of data, you might be able to design something a little bit more efficient so that they're not having to go to the other end of the ward constantly to, to pick up a certain piece of equipment or, or medication or whatever it might be. Um, or, or look at how patients are cared for in the context of a better workforce um, service delivery model because you've got the real-time data or long-term data even to be able to do that. So... You know, I think there's other opportunities here. Um, and with your epidemiological hat on, Steph, do you, do you see those as, um, as other options? I think it's very exciting and they're definitely all options. Anything to um, improve the pace that things that um, these sort of things occur um, and quantify them as well, that's what really excites me. Yeah. Mm. Imagine, Phil, you like your automated surveillance. If you could integrate yeah. this with an automated surveillance system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess one of the things that pops into my head, though, is that I, I can foresee potential clash between the right to privacy and um, the ability to to make these processes really efficient. I can imagine, you know, if um, evil ruled over good, then some some people might want to use this to check on how much work their employees are doing or if they're working in the right space or how much time they're spending undertaking certain tasks so i imagine at some stage there's going to have to be some sort of um discussion between the uh, the privacy folk mm. and the uh, epidemiologists to make sure that um everything's okay i think it's very important to get that balance and get everyone's side and opinion on board before a system like this is rolled out uh, but hopefully we'll be able to meet in the middle um and it's for the better of everyone of course mm. Well, look, uh, always great talking to you, Steph, and um, thanks so much for your time and, and coming on here and, and telling us about this uh, piece of work. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Great to see you, Steph. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. For, this is our final uh, Sipsy um, special podcast. Uh, we do have some other related podcasts coming up um, in, in the coming weeks. Uh, so stay tuned to those. Uh, but thanks, everyone, for listening. And thanks again, Steph. And good to see you, Phil. <laughs> thanks, Brett. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>